Good day, ladies, gentlemen, and children of all ages. This is Robert Itis with Plants and Their Friends at the Caboose in downtown Marshall for WART 95.5 on your FM dial. And today, very special day, I have uh, Mark Williams. Thank you for coming. Yes, Robert. Glad to be back. And uh, we are going to probably talk about one of the most important topics that is not talked about very much, and that's male health. And we've got a couple of uh, really big names in the industry to guide us through their writings and uh, and then really uh, take what they've written and, and take it to the next level because... Uh, it's a very, very big topic. I want everybody to understand that this is just the beginning of the process. Okay, Mark, let's um, start with uh, one of the big things that is not talked about in these books, and that is your local versus from afar. Okay. Well, yeah. In my role working with Plants and Healers International, a nonprofit based here in Asheville, we uh, have focused on a lot of different world cultures and traditions in healing. And a big thing in uh, especially the modern age regarding that is this idea of sustainability in relation to the plants themselves, the cultures that surround the plants and their native habitats. And uh, something that really uh, I kind of credit Frank Cook with, who is uh, the central inspiration for Plant and Healers International, is this idea that transfers over to medicine, what a lot of people will be familiar with, with food, which is the distance that things travel, you know, so people think about food miles, for instance, but Frank would frame it in this idea of medicine feet, you know, how many feet do you need to travel, you know, ideally with the idea being basically outside your doorstep or in a nearby forest or whatever other habitat is suitable for the medicine you're looking for, like um, really trying to focus local first. And then if you do need to get something from afar, looking at um, the sustainable type of elements related to that. How is it harvested? Is it threatened or endangered? And, um, and 
elements yeah. like that. It, uh, it, it is uh, uh, getting very close, in my mind, to uh, a situation where the population is so great that the plants cannot sustain it while, while crafting it. Right. I mean, of course, a um, near and dear plant to both of us that I'm sure we'll talk about more that's kind of a um, you know, patron saint for sustainability is, is the ginseng. But um, a lot of plants are mentioned around men's health specifically, like Damiana, Kava Kava, it's may pronounce Moara, Puama, <clears throat> Pygium, and Yohimbe. They all have uh, maybe some sustainability concerns in being that they are typically from fairly far away from at least people in North America and Europe and other northern latitude places. Yes, and to our our friends in Nigeria uh, who would like uh, a a very good income, uh, starting to do Pygium out there the correct way where you just take a part of the bark uh, and uh, and have and don't cut down the whole tree uh, is a great uh, situation, and I think America would love to have sustainably harvested pygeum. Yeah, it's interesting because pygeum is actually something from the prunus genus, so it's related to things like cherries and plums, and so it'd also be interesting to think about well, what is the chemistry in Pygium, and are there what are called analogs? You know, maybe some other species in that genus that are similar, that could be used similarly. But certainly, it does bring to mind this idea also of cultivation for conservation versus wild crafting, because certainly Pygium is being over harvested as far as wild crafting goes, and it really makes me think of this great organization that's near and dear to both our hearts, United Plant Savers. That's really focused on on that sort of element. Yes. Uh, uh, we, uh, we have an anniversary coming up, uh, 25th anniversary for United Plant Savers, uh, started by Rosemary Gladstar. And she is one of our, or my heroes, uh, and her Rosemary Gladstar's Herbal Remedies for Men's Health is one of the uh, books that we're going to be referencing a lot today right and rosemary also has a somewhat revised version of that that's called herbal healing for men remedies and recipes but she really is a touchstone on so many levels in that she's one of the primary founders of united plant savers focused on the conservation of medicinal plants a prolific author around medicinal plants also somebody who helped get the American Herbalist Guild off the ground and companies like Traditional Medicinals and has uh, had a farm in Vermont uh, called Sage Mountain where she's done a lot of education. So really uh, just a great inspiration in this field of herbal wellness and uh, the International Herbal Symposium that I recently attended is something that she also helped to get off the ground and run for quite a while now. Yeah. Okay, so um, the next thing that uh, we have to just touch base just slightly on is uh, if you're going to do some cultivation, and we highly encourage it, you need to do some quality control while you're doing that cultivation. Yeah, for sure, both in how you 
cultivate the plant so you have things like good manufacturing practices and good agricultural practices called GMPs and GAPs for short. And then you also have quality control as a consumer and what you are going to be taking in and, and paying your good money for. So there's a whole realm around how to really grow these things and process them in the best way. I think of Dr. Janine Davis, a great colleague of ours locally at the Mountain Horticultural and Crops Research Center, who really focuses a lot on that production aspect. And then you really have um, kind of a big open field as a consumer to choose about, well, what is a high quality product? And we'll probably mention some different companies, I think, later when we're kind of closing up talking about further resources but the short the long of it and there there are these kind of statements like substituting brown for brown or green for green like oftentimes in an unscrupulous situation folks just might put whatever in there just to fill that space and so you really want to get it from uh, a place that you have a lot of uh, faith and trust in but then beyond that say like you're at the store you're getting them yourself um, from a bulk area of a co-op or natural food store or something. Just um, thinking about relative vibrancy of color, of smell, and these types of things, uh, they can be uh, clues, basically, as far as the, the freshness of it, how old it is, uh, because these things ideally would be stored at lower temperatures outside of direct sunlight, and definitely will degrade over time but in general fresher is better okay let's move it along here okay um let's just jump down to uh, the tradition around male herbs versus female herbs okay yeah that sounds good um really it kind of gets into this whole idea of how things are changing in society and how we frame things because um, for one thing genders for people are something that in a lot of traditional societies are not polarized into just a b you know male female there, there would be a spectrum and uh, that's certainly something that is being i would say at, at times reclaimed um, or certainly claimed uh, by folks this idea of a gender spectrum and how folks identify and then there of course is definitely uh maybe a surprise to some people gender spectrum and how people are born like there are people that are born intersex with some elements of both sexes and so it's important to honor that for one thing and then it's important to honor with the plant similarly that um, there are these traditions that have framed some plants as male plants some plants as female plants uh, one I was just reading about was uh, the idea of uh, two Artemisias, so things in the same genus, like mugwort. It's more of a female plant, uh, Artemisia vulgaris, and then wormwood is more of a male plant, Ar Artemisia absinthium, the plant used in absinthe. But I think a lot of people are realizing and moving more towards this place that if a plant is really good for one person, then there is a potential that it could be really good for other people, uh, independent of biologically, um, sometimes what uh, what body they find themselves in, and and maybe they'll be also helpful in one way for one gender, and and helpful in another way for other genders. But of course, um, 
nothing's fail safe for everybody all the time. So something that might work for one woman won't necessarily work for another woman and vice versa for one man or another man. And okay. um, yeah, just lastly on sustainability, I do want to just address real quick this idea of cultural appropriation because it, it's an important one in that as culture evolves, we do have to pay attention to where these plants come from, the traditions they come from, and how we make use of those plants and potentially those traditions and honoring those places and honoring the history of uh, colonialism and how a lot of this knowledge has been extracted against people's will and monetized without... Um, you know, giving back, benefit sharing, and paying due credit to where these places come from. So that's something that's really important to honor, both where these come from, and also potentially to limit our use of certain types of products, in particular when they were requested in uh, being limited by the people who have a tradition with them. Okay. We're going to move on. Uh, we uh, want to uh, hit on uh, one area that uh, is what you consider the root of illness, uh, inflammation. Right. And we can go uh, into diet, exercise, and stress next, but uh, inflammation is a big situation right now for most people. It really is, and inflammation is a universal situation for all organisms as time goes on especially as you get older just oxidative stress from oxygen alone is one example but um yes it really does feel like it is the root of all illness whether you're talking about in your heart or in your head or various other body systems and so we'll be talking about various other plants later We'll be talking about various kind of common ailments that um, are experienced by male-bodied people. But at the same time, really what we're getting at is, is this idea of these different organ systems, places in the body, getting inflamed. And we're talking about various different plants that often have the capacity to disinflame, to take that inflammation away. Yes. And also uh, the other kinds of uh, ways that that can happen uh, is diet. Uh, our diet, uh, uh, if we're, uh, say, have arthritic problems, then maybe we shouldn't be eating nightshades. Uh, those are uh, the kinds of things that are just uh, uh, almost common sense uh, situations in diets. I mean, we also have... Uh, a whole bunch of, uh, of things that we're going to have to change in our diet because of the huge amount of sugar, which is so addictive, and uh, other uh, things that are uh, not really appropriate to our digestive system we're learning. But there are alternatives now uh, that are available. You just have to go out and really find them. And uh, in Asheville, it's a, a pleasure to be in a place where, where that's recognized. Yeah, we're so lucky in Asheville, and luckily a lot of other places in the country and around the world are re-embracing this idea that's 
ancient as Hippocrates and other food and uh, science philosophers, this idea of food as medicine, and really kind of folds into this old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Because oftentimes what happens, and um, this does seem to happen maybe a little bit more in male-bodied people and male-identifying people, this... Um, really letting things build up, these problems build up, like eating a not good diet, not getting very good exercise, being super stressed, and ignoring the symptoms that are um, basically the warning signs on your dashboard of life, saying, look, 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 there's a problem here, and if you don't fill up the tank of this particular area, or, you know, give it a break, you're going to wear it out and um, unfortunately that's something that often does happen in these um, you know somewhat innocuous maybe subtle light symptoms and develop into heavier symptoms and then eventually into an acute crisis that um, all really could be mostly avoided through diet exercise yeah. reducing stress these plants that we're going to talk about do have a role but more than anything the role is how you're going to live your life and reducing certain practices as well needs to be mentioned along with sugar there's forms of sugar that people don't connect but like alcohol and it has its own particular problems but also of course smoking and and all sorts of other habits and potentially drinking coffee and these are all drugs um and sugar i would put in that category too um, yeah, especially in, 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 in our drinks. Uh, 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 the reality is we should be drinking uh, 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 water with lemon to uh, uh, alkaline our bodies. Sure. I mean, alkalizing is a, is a big thing and can be as simple as various different kinds of teas. But certainly the less sweeteners, concentrated forms of sweetener that we take in outside of very special occasions the better yes and that was uh some of the uses uh that uh used to be holidays and anniversaries birthdays now turn into every meal uh, uh there's a problem there folks yeah every dessert for every meal is definitely a very new a novel concept to um, a fairly small subset of people even alive now and pretty much unknown to uh, people historically around the world. Okay, so uh, I just want to uh, mention one thing that I've been practicing and in, uh, the, in the exercise area. Uh, I do want to say that um, now that uh, I have... Uh, uh, Medicare and on the Advantage program, there's a company that I would recommend, United Healthcare, that lets you go to the Y in Woodfin free, uh, and that's because movement is the key as you get older. You have to keep moving. You can't just sit. Sitting in front of the television or sitting in front of the computer is, in some ways, a slow death ring going down. Uh, the K-E-G-E-L. Yeah, the Kegel exercises. That is something. Or Kegel, some people say, too. That is something that I just want to read Rosemary's um, a statement about it. Um, and also a couple of things 
just to throw out there, um, 40% of sexually active men are infertile. This was in 99. And more than 70% of men over age 60 will have prostate problems requiring medications of some type. And men continue to die in the average of eight years before women. Uh, this doesn't present a he very healthy picture of the American male. Uh, nor does it say very much for our health care system. Now, this uh, method um, that, um, that she describes in here uh, and also is described by uh, James Green in The Male Herbalist is... Uh, this exercise uh, dates back to the, the 40s when a genealogist named Arnold Gagel developed an exercise program to help women who had problems with bladder control. It was soon discovered that these exercises not only created good pelvic health, facilitating control of bowels and bladder, but also helping develop and nourish the entire genital system in men as well as women. Routine performance of the Kegel exercise has become one of the finest techniques known for increasing rep reproductive organ health. And uh, this, to me, can be done, as they say, anywhere. It can be done in your yoga classes. It can be done uh, while you're uh, making breakfast. It can be done in walking. Uh, the best way, they say, to accomplish it is concentration by laying flat in bed. Um, and so uh, this uh, uh, exercise um, it, it includes three components. Uh, slowly clutching the PC muscle and rapid clutching uh, and uh, pushing out. And all of these are exercises that one can do. And as you do it, you will really understand how, if you don't do it, what happens in your health scene where you can't control your bladder and you can't control your, your uh, urine. So uh, uh, this is serious, but it... It's, it's like the other thing that we can control that we don't do a great deal of, and that's breathing. We need to deep breathe. And, and this uh, exercise is another one. Absolutely free. We're in total control of it. And we're the ones who are then taking control of our health. Right. And uh, once again, oftentimes the Kegel or Kegel exercises are referred to for women's health, interestingly enough. But uh, this is something that spans that whole thing uh, between the genders that really is kind of a false separation oftentimes. And this is another example. Uh, let's move on to the uh, uh, next uh, sections. Uh, you want to talk about categories rather than... Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, potentially. So, yeah, I mean, you have these greater categories that are more, once again, general uh, to anybody. 
having health. And so these are categories of medicines, uh, including adaptogens, bitters, cardiovascular tonics, and nervines or nervines. Then I guess adaptogens are probably the most esoteric of those terms, and the other ones are a little more self-explanatory. But adaptogens basically help you generate adaptation to stress most commonly and tend to be uh, antioxidants and also tend to be tonic plants that you can take over a long period of time in fairly large amounts. But there um, is an exception to most rules, and this would also um, apply in this case because uh, classically considered adaptogenic plant is licorice, and licorice right. at the same time is contraindicated when people have high blood pressure. So it's really important to understand that idea that um, there can be exceptions to the rule and, and understand any cautions, you know, proceeding in a humble way uh, as far as that goes to learn as much as you can about a plant or a particular ailment before proceeding forward. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand that um, we're not mentioning these things uh, uh, because uh, uh, in any way uh, we uh, have uh, figured out the, the system. Uh, it's just that the system isn't really taught uh, that what we're talking about. Uh, men do not see very much as far as male health except in the area of Viagra and in the area of power, protein, upper body kind of stuff, uh, which uh, may or may not be appropriate to, to men's health in the long run. Uh, and this is where the concentration is. And it's a bad place for us to uh, not see uh, the forest uh, of the trees. Yeah, for sure. As you said, it's um, really interesting, this whole realm of, of men's health in particular and how it's mainly focused towards basically trying to freeze time and keep you as this young stud. And um, I would say another one that comes up a lot because it's just such a big issue for most older men is the prostate. But um, there are certainly some general things that affect men um, that also affect women, but maybe to varying degrees. Uh, another one that came to mind and getting ready for this was athlete's foot, where nowadays there's a lot of both genders doing the sports thing, but, you know, historically that might be more of a, of a male thing. And um, regardless, that's something that is definitely treatable with plants, you know, pretty well and not something that you need to take a pharmaceutical for. And uh, right. certainly, of course, things like blood pressure and cholesterol affect all people. Yeah, um, but the, the diet with the high blood pressure is definitely doable, and I'm an example of that. Uh, I was taking it for uh, almost a, a year, and then I radically changed my diet, especially taking the sugars out. And all kinds of things started to go away, uh, including some hemorrhoids. So uh, the people who, uh, who eat uh, processed food, beware. Uh, this is not going to be good for your body in the long run.
Yeah, and I mean, the blood pressure one is actually one of the greatest causes of death for men in our society. And certainly, first and foremost, cutting out coffee, cutting out smoking, cutting out excess amounts of sugar, getting more exercise. These are above and beyond going to uh, potentially affect that just as much, if not more, than any particular plant regime yeah. and 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 it's it said that the hardest thing for a human being is to change a good habit from a bad habit the good news is that there are lots of new things that you can substitute some of those bad things for for instance our sugar could be substituted with a local honey that also gives you some antibiotic uh, uh, aspects to the honey uh, and uh, is uh, more digestible to the body than refined sugars. Um, and so there's an area where, where we can definitely talk some more. Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, there's kind of a number of different overarching concepts here that come to mind and have touched on this idea of cautions a little bit in regards to licorice and high blood pressure but just to put it out there that you might see um, stimulants like cola of course that is uh, made famous by coca-cola but also in various different supplements and guarana and yohimbe these are kind of all these stimulants that often would kind of put that pep in your step veritably speaking but um, cola, grana, and yohimbe can all easily be overdone. They all are also exotic things from tropical locales. So just something to think about when you're taking that, um, you know, power drink that you might be getting at the gas station or something like that. And um, these are powerful things that can be overdone, really. And those are on the stimulant side. Then you have things that are like sedatives like hops which a lot of people might not realize but that's a a big sedative and of course that is the major plant component in beer which is definitely a major (laughs) alcoholic beverage consumed by lots of people so um in particular when going through for instance this uh phase that's often called andropause similar to menopause but for men then taking in things like hops, which are sedating and somewhat um, basically hormonal um, from a, a phytohormone, a plant hormone standpoint, um, those are going to often be discouraged. So um, we're coming to the halfway place of plants and their friends. And um, I'm thinking that we're going to jump over here for the next half. Uh and uh, I'm here with uh, Mark Williams. This is Robert Itis. And we've been talking about uh, male health uh, and uh, uh, herbal uh, practices uh, and herbal plants. Uh, I w- did want to uh, put in that I, I think our new diet is going to be some of what we're talking about, but I think we're going to be needing to put... Uh, uh, more uh, nuts and more uh, alternative grains and more fruit, uh, more wild uh, weeds that are edible, and mushrooms. 
and our diets need to take care of these uh, different elements uh, on a daily basis. Okay, uh, let's start talking about some of the plants. All right. And well, then um, uh, we'll, we'll catch up if we can on the others. Okay. Well, just to frame the plants, I would like to just kind of get out there this idea that's going to then play out with all the plants that sure. we talk about which is what do you do with them once you know that this is a great plant for this that or the other application then you need to kind of categorize it and fit it into a folder of of use and so um beverages are an easy one and tea is the easiest of all during a water extract but then beyond that you could also extract things into alcohol that's very commonly done and that alcohol could be a varying strength so you could um for instance, a very classic thing for male tonics would be to take a wine, like an already prepared wine, and then soak some medicinal plant material in that wine. Or you could, of course, make your own medicinal wine if you know how to do that. But then um, there's also uh, liquor, right? So like very strong, like a whiskey or a vodka or a gin or something like that that you could extract your plant materials into as well. And then um, in the words of Mary Poppins, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And so even though too much sugar is not good, a little bit of sugar can help with what's called compliance, which can be an issue oftentimes. You can know all the best things for you. You can procure them and have them available, but often um, in particular, if they don't taste good, then you're going to get less compliance and less uh, of people really taking those on. So along those lines, you can also make even just straight up desserts, what are called bliss bites or bliss balls sometimes, like a kind of truffle made out of all of these different plant materials and maybe mixed with some chocolate or other tasty things. And then one that often is, I think, um, not really referred to enough in herbalism in general for anybody is taking herbal baths and having herbal steams. And um, when it is referred to, it's often more for, for females and, and in the female literature. But that's something that Rosemary definitely emphasizes and I think could be good. And lastly, I would just say there's this whole other realm of up-and-coming beverages that are actually rather old that are more based on vinegars. And so especially if somebody has an issue with alcohol and they want something a little bit more jazzy than water, you can do all of these uh, infusions of the plants that we're about to talk to uh, into vinegar often and then make uh, these really neat old-timey beverages like oxymels and switchels and shrubs that are very much worth looking into. Great. Um, so we want to also uh, encourage people to grow all of the lists that we're talking about that's appropriate. There may be some uh, plants that we would have to uh, barter with other places to, to get, but the majority of what you can get here is where we'd like to go. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and we have this kind of greatest hits list here of uh, a little bit over 20 plants. And uh, maybe um, it just bears mentioning the ones I could see easily growing would be things like ashwagandha, which is uh, something that looks very similar to eggplant. 
and um, maybe surprisingly ginger, which even though it's tropical, we can grow it as an annual, especially in hoop houses, even here in North Carolina. Of course, uh, ginseng. And ginkgo. ginkgo. Ginkgo is easily grown here. Yeah, for sure. On Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. And lots of other places actually very tolerant of uh, even city conditions. And then hawthorn is a native plant that often grows itself, but could also be planted. And uh, pumpkins, of course, are native to the Americas, and we could be growing our own uh, pumpkins for seed. Uh, raspberries, very easy to both grow and to wild harvest sustainably. And that's um, mostly what, uh, yeah, and then actually valerian's Skullcap. on there too. Valerian yeah. and Skullcap, yep, and St. John's Wort. Um, we're kind of talking about uh, nervines there. We have a whole little yeah, and clump of those. And another those one that we, we, uh, we, we went over, the Siberian ginseng, uh, which um, is uh, a very easy to grow uh, if you know how uh, it is grown. And it's a layered plant. So you can get new ones pretty easy. It takes a while for them to get up there, but it 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 may be a good substitute for some men instead of uh, American ginseng. Yeah, it's more like a shrub, whereas the American ginseng is more like a smaller mm. herbaceous plant. Okay, so um, the the uh, making sure that you have these medicines by uh, producing them yourself is the ideal situation or wild crafting in certain cases as i kind of mentioned with the raspberry you know raspberries are pretty weedy they could definitely be wild crafted and um there's a couple other plants on this list that probably wouldn't go about cultivating as much like a sassafras which um if you're in its realm the good thing about sassafras is that it's clonal and so it'll have multiple stems, maybe coming out feet apart, that will all be the same organism. So you can just take out one of those stems and, and leave the main one. And um, then there is this term that is a little bit confusing sometimes because it gets in this idea of common name confusion. Uh, most people know it, sarsaparilla. And so that could be either from the genex Smilax which is a very famous group of plants all over the world in Asia and the Caribbean, as well as the Americas. Smilax but, grows real well in our mountains. Yeah, and we have, I think, um, around nine species, although only a few are seen commonly, which is something to be aware of, right? That um, it would be ideal to, even with something fairly common like Smilax, try to figure out what you're looking at. Um, but then there's this other plant called sarsaparilla that grows around here as well, but not commonly. And that's the Aurelia nudicollis, which is a ginseng relative. And so um, that plant I've seen fairly weedy in common up north in New England and like Vermont or places like that. But um, down here, it's fairly few and far between. And I think that would be of concern. And if you wanted to make use of that plant, probably cultivating it like its relative ginseng would be more appropriate. Okay. So uh, we're uh, into uh, uh, talking a little bit more about some of these uh, specific uh, herbs. And um, 
maybe get into uh, some of the uh, different uh, situations for growing. Um, I uh, know that um, uh, all of our woods can deal with the American ginseng, and if we ever could get Asian ginseng seeds, we could have that here too. But Siberian ginseng will grow here well. Hawthorn will grow here well. Uh, pumpkin out in the garden with the ashwagandha and red raspberries. Uh, salt palmetto is from Florida, so it's going to be hard. But I have valerian growing for the uh, and skullcap is really easy here. And of course, we have the wild yam in the in the forest. So. Uh, these are oh, the wild yam is on the to be watch list by you know plant saver so that one is one that i cultivate think, yeah yeah cultivate and kind of think about analogs you know substitutes okay interesting with the wild yam too that that's often one that's thought of more as a female plant and um another one that uh, like the hops and, and black cohosh kind of has these uh, plant-like hormones but uh, in particular for uh, muscle relaxation, that is uh, a particular application. And it does kind of bring to mind this idea that we have this list of plants. And, of course, we have various applications for any of those plants. But as well, right next to that, we have the parts of the plants, right? So understanding that um, with some plants you can use all parts, although maybe some parts might be different in use than others our strength in particular um, but in other plants it's like very specific the part that you're going to use and in general the root is going to be the strongest part at the same time though if you think about sustainability if you're taking the root of a plant that is in some ways less sustainable than almost anything else like taking the leaves or even the flowers or the fruits the reproductive parts because you're taking the whole life of it but um if it's an annual plant and it's going to die anyway, that's less of a thing than if it is a perennial plant, like a ginseng that could live for 50 years. So kind of thinking about the part of the plant and thinking about um, that method of harvest and different plants that we've mentioned would fit into those different categories. Um, but I'd say in general, it tends to be a little more specific. I'm looking here and like American ginseng, every single part, has medicine in it and um, if you were going to take the root then you might as well use the other parts as well um, definitely don't throw them away uh, hawthorn is an interesting one as a tree using the leaves flowers and berries and uh, raspberries kind of yeah let me let me come back to that ginseng uh, uh, to just uh, echo the uh, sustainability when i came into the field in 94 it was typical that the uh, berries of the ginseng were crushed in a, uh, uh, a bag uh, as pulp and to get the seeds out. And then the pulp was thrown away. Uh, and that's fabulous medicine. Yeah. And now they're starting to use it and understand that it has uh, benefits, especially the research that I've seen on lowering blood pressure. Or, I mean, uh, the diabetes a aspect of it uh, for, uh, for, uh, for people 
uh, is, uh, um, you know, so again, we, we, we have to be cons- on a conservation-minded bend when we get into this. Uh, also in 1998, uh, I believe, Canada proved that American ginseng had, had uh, ginsenicide in the leaves. Again, our uh, harvesters leave the leaves on the ground in the forest. They don't bring them out. And so uh, some of this needs to change. Obviously, if you're growing your own, you can control the leaves. And if you want to take them in August, you can, uh, uh, instead of the plant going down and it getting yellow and you, all of that energy being lost. Uh, there's also the aspect of taking some of the leaves off the ginseng to make it look, disguise it a little. And uh, so if you're out in, in, in the uh, wilderness, uh, hiking or whatever, and, and you see a ginseng plant to clip a little leaf, uh, to make it look like something else, uh, and then bring that leaf back and make it into, dry it out and make it into tea would be, as far as I'm concerned, uh, of course, if you're on property that you can't do that, you, you, you have to have permission to even take a leaf. But if you're on your own land out there, uh, look at those ginseng leaves as uh, ways to get your some tea uh, going for yourself. Yeah. For sure, definitely. And I think something else that came to mind when we were talking about things that are far away from us, like salt palmetto is a huge industry, not that far away in Florida. And uh, then we have something like a sassafras, which grows here, but not really down there. And, um, and some of these other plants similarly. And sometimes uh, what I've read is uh, that the smilax from down south really is more ascribed to be more medicinal than maybe some of our local species. So this idea of trade networks, which of course is as old as civilizations themselves, but uh, talked about that with some different friends having grown up in Florida and then moved here about 20 years ago about, well, maybe we can trade some of what we have in abundance with some of what you have in abundance and and think about building because that's its own form of male health, right? This idea of cooperation versus uh, competition. And um, any ways that we can kind of bridge different realms of people in different places, I think could be definitely helpful as well. Great. Uh- I think of some of the big uh, ailments, though, Robert, too, you know, that really kind of... Um, really i guess a lot of people face like the prostate is one of the more real specific to males and exactly some of the things that are good for that like pumpkin seeds are a big one and those being high in zinc so that's some of the chemistry that's working behind the scenes with that but pumpkin seeds are good for a number of other things as well and then also lycopene that's actually not one that we have represented on this list but um tomato is really famous for lycopene uh, but something I would put out there that is another kind of big focus for me and my work in general is uh, exotic invasives. And we have this exotic invasive called autumn olive locally and in a lot of places that's supposed to potentially have 10 times the lycopene of tomatoes. Right. Right. So that's also very helpful in um, reducing prostate inflammation that leads to cancer. Right. 
Right. Uh, all of these uh, are uh, very much uh, uh, items and education that uh, has not been uh, passed down through our educational system. And it's a big uh, 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 hole in the uh, uh, experience educational background that we need to understand how to optimize our health as males. It, it's not something that, that people go out and, uh, and talk about. Uh, and when they do talk about it, as we say, they're, they're in areas that are uh, questionable for, for male uh, health to start off with. Um, I would caution you to not take anything that has horrible side effects. And when I see some of these medicines that are coming out now, uh, they shouldn't even be allowed to be advertised. So, Although I will say, too, that um, there are plant materials. Sometimes people can take that for granted, you know, that might have some side effects too and i mentioned some already but i don't think i mentioned saint john's wort which is somewhat debated uh in um some of the literature about its uh contraindication with for instance ssri like antidepressants and um also even for um extensive sun exposure and and sassafras is an interesting story that's probably uh, a little bit overplayed as far as its potential toxicity, but is something nonetheless in due diligence um, is something to pursue on your own just to get the complete story so you're making informed decisions. But in general, talking about health and well-being is something that comes hard for a lot of males, and um, that's something that we really have to address as much as what kind of plants to put into what kind of form to make us better is like, what are ways that, that we as a society and as individuals can communicate our issues with other people and work through them and, and talk about different and difficult subjects than are normally broached. And a big one that we haven't gotten to yet that's so specific to males that like I need to put out there as uh, this idea with the circumcision and um, sure the long of it <laughs> is this idea that um, you know if you don't do it you're not going to be healthy I guess that's the what's been sold to society in the U.S. but just want to say that basically uh, most people in the world don't do it and uh, a lot more and more that option is um, being offered and that circling back around to plants and their role to play that um, there is a potentially bit of a higher chance of infection for somebody that's uncircumcised but it is also potentially fairly easy to treat that with uh, plants with herbs and um, so it doesn't need to be this big fear factor thing you know if you want to make that choice that's great but it doesn't need to be just like this automated choice that has uh, been made more in recent history in the well, U.S. Yeah, uh, our allopathic system right now is in control. And the pharmaceutical industry's uh, ability to brainwash people with their products that have a lot of bad side effects is what we are dealing with out there. 
So you have to become proactive. You have to say, I need to do things for my male health that I'm conscious of, that I've been educated about, and that I would like to follow through with an action plan. Yeah, and as far as that goes, really informing yourself. I mean, in this day and age, we have so many incredible resources, and I definitely do this online class by donation at botanyeveryday.com for anybody wanting to learn the plants themselves. But there are a number of different uh, authors working on this subject. We mentioned James Green and Rosemary Gladstar, and uh, David Winston is another one that comes to mind and also some great organizations like the American Herbalist Guild and the American Botanical Council both have their own journals. Um, Herbal Graham is the one from American Botanical Council. Then you also have the American Herbal Products Association really looking at the quality control that we're talking about at the larger scale. And then you have organizations like Fair Wild and nature serve looking at the sustainability aspects of these plants that are growing in the wild and are potentially under pressure but there's lots of really great information of course online i would say of course just as much great stuff not good stuff too going to um, credible sources um, like Google Scholar, which is a kind of clearinghouse for lots of peer-reviewed journal articles, or also academia.edu and ResearchGate, where a lot of um, scholars post their articles that you can download for free. And then PubMed is the real kind of umbrella for lots of um, health articles that um, is maintained by the government. And then, of course, we have local teachers like Corey Pine Shane at the Blue Ridge School of Verbal Medicine and Joe Hollis at Mountain Gardens, who uh, both teach about the use of the plants. And in the case of Joe, really teaches about the cultivation, which I know is near and dear to your heart. Yes, that's what we have to do. We have to uh, be able to go out our back door and get our medicine and come in and make it and know um, uh, that it's uh, organic and know that uh, we're uh, not going uh, to use gas to get something uh, that we can make ourselves uh, in our backyards, in our farms, in our gardens. Uh, these are the places that um, uh, the new direction is going to come into, uh, creating, uh, looking at those uh, black walnut trees in a new way and go uh, go uh, collect them and bring them into the Nutty Buddy Collective instead of uh, uh, cursing at the black walnuts all over the place. Uh, we'll uh, uh, put the, the nut uh, a part into your daily uh, routine. And these are the ways that we're going to overcome, that we're going to be able to uh, uh, weather uh, these uh, huge hikes and spikes in food, food availability, food pricing. Uh, around the corner, they're, they're going to be very, very high uh, uh, as we start to go ahead and become a nation of orga small, diversified, organic, and local farmers which was where we started off. Exactly. And when you say that, it brings to mind, especially the black walnut, this concept of permaculture, which 
imagining the audience listening to this we probably have a good percentage familiar with permaculture but uh anybody that's not that's some of your homework go and go ahead and google permaculture look it up but uh one of the things that permaculture talks about is the stacking of functions and finding multiple applications for any element in your system and the black walnut is such a classic example and you also kind of joke that permaculture which came out of the 70s in australia is a 40 some year old word for a 10,000 year old idea and so kind of hearkening to the indigenous practices with black walnut a native plant you have this plant that has incredible wood whether it's for building and and for firewood or carving uh, that sort of thing but you have this nut that has incredible food that we just talked about but then you also have this antifungal component that we had talked about athlete's foot earlier. So black walnut would be an element. Or parasites that. in the bed. Or internally for parasites, yeah. which uh, we talked about pumpkin seeds earlier in relation to the prostate. But pumpkin seeds are also anti-parasitic. Yeah. And so with a lot of these things, realizing that they are not, um, you, you know, just one aspect to them that can be applied. But oftentimes there are very much multiple different applications for any one plant well uh can't believe the hour's gone and we haven't touched on everything uh we've given you a a little smattering uh but this is uh robert itis with plants and their friends talking with mark williams about men's health you all have a nice week all right thanks robert thanks everybody